that. But today we're tonight we're going to talk about leadership. Um, and so if you want to open up your your Bible, Romans chapter 12, verse 6, just read the scripture one more time that we've read so many times. Having then gifts deferring according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. And today we skip over to verse 8. He who leads with diligence. And so that's um, one of these seven grace gifts that Paul mentions in this list of Romans chapter 12, um, leadership. And so we're going to look at it from a bit of a different angle tonight. Um, I think the uh, devotional that we're reading and the video that we will be watching later this week is going to get more into the gift, whereas tonight I'm going to talk more about the heart of, of leadership. Um, but let's define what we're talking about or what Paul is talking about when he says leadership here in this eighth verse. The Greek word is proestemi, um, proestemi, um, which means to stand before, to preside, to be over, to give attention to. And so what I want to pull out from that is in those kind of expanded definitions of this Greek word are included, and rightfully so, the idea of both organic leadership in the sense of influencing other people, having influence over people, as well as positional leadership in the sense of having an office of leadership. And I would want to say, we need both. Mm-hmm. We, need, we need to grow in both. The church needs its members to grow in both. We need to be growing in our influence of other people. And we need those rising up into offices of deacons and elders in the local church to do what it is that we've call, been called to do. And yeah. so... Um, I'm trusting that as we look at the word of God, that those things will be stirred in us, all of it. Um, But I just want to say, as we're getting into this, that as I just said before, yes, we could talk about skills of leadership and ways to develop in in that kind of way, the kind of tactical and practical elements of leadership. And I think we will through the devotional and through the video. But what I want to talk about is heart, uh, because I think that that is the most important aspect of leadership um, what's the expression I'm looking for Whole, bar, none. bar none bar none there we go um, without a doubt and uh, you know if there's any kind of example of leadership other than Jesus I think the the King David certainly represents something of leadership and in fact he is when when God called the people of God to be a, a kingdom of priests and to be a, a, a kingdom uh, it was David that kind of becomes the first God-chosen king and who sets up the throne upon which the, the Messiah would one day come. And the king that came before David, as we well know, is Saul. And Saul, as I said this morning, you know, he, he, was, a, he was a good choice. You know, he was yeah. tall and was a natural leader and was a good selection. And, and if you look at what caused God to reject him from leadership— I mean, it's kind of uh, ouchy, like, jeez, you know, it's not like he did some heinous thing. He was supposed to d- destroy all of the spoils and all of the cattle and everything, and he kept some of the spoils, but it was that his heart was not actually to follow the Lord no matter what, and that's the issue. It's an issue of the heart, whereas in 1 Samuel thirteen fourteen we read this, 
these words that were spoken to Saul, the evil king who was removed, but now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart. And the Lord has com- commanded him to be the commander over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. And so that's the heart that we're wanting is a heart that if that, that we have influence and leadership on the sole premise not because of our anointing, not because of our charisma, not even because we have a Romans 12 leadership right. gift. Okay. We have influence and leadership because we have a heart yeah. that wants God to first lead and influence us. Yeah. And if we don't have that, we don't have any right to try to lead right. anyone, whether they're saints or sinners. Right. So today what we're looking at are two – no, actually, yes, we are. Two steps to grow in leadership and calling. That's the first thing. The second thing is Jesus' pattern – of servant leadership, and then we're going to look at some identifying the kind of leaders that Jesus is calling us to be. Do you mind if I pray real quick? Okay. So, Father, we do pray. We want to to be faithful. We want to be faithful with your calling, Lord. I want to speak over um, every person in this room, including myself, Lord, that the leadership, the influence that you have called us to to have. You said to go and make disciples, and we cannot do that without influencing people. And so, Lord, I'm praying that that even as we spend time together looking at your word, that you would um, stir and that you would spark flames and that you would um, speak to us and that you would in, uh, open our eyes and that we would leave from this place uh, ready to champion your cause in Jesus' name. Romans chapter 12, the sixth verse that we've looked at so many times, my friends, is set in a context And so we're looking at two steps of growing in leadership and calling, and the context begins over there in the first verse, which we have not read uh, during this series, but I think it's very significant that it comes right before this kind of section on the gifts. And in the first verse, you can read along with me, Paul says, I beseech you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The first kind of step that I just want to point out is the renewing of your mind. And um, uh, specifically, Paul goes from there with regards to renewing your mind, as you know, into this section of scripture dealing with gifts. I would say if we want to grow in our calling and in our leadership, we need to renew our mind to believe and to accept that God has called us, that there are gifts inside of us. Sometimes we can lose sight of that simple fact. And if God has given us gifts, there is a responsibility on our part to respond to the call. There's something to present our bodies a living sacrifice to say yes lord and to and to run with the call so the first step is renewing your mind the second i want to point out from there is to do what i just said give yourself to the call i beseech you therefore brothers by the mercies of god that you present your bodies a living sacrifice and so i don't want to be redundant because i just pointed it out but the idea is you know in the old testament we had sacrifices like actual animal sacrifices. And Paul is saying in this New Testament, yes, Jesus is the sacrifice, 
but in him we become a sacrifice. Except we don't die physically. We reckon ourselves as dead that we might live in him. Paul said it this way, it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in in me. The life I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved, loved me and gave himself up for me. So we present ourselves, our bodies, as sacrifices to him that the gifts may manifest. And so I have found that that, what I just described, is the context in which our gifts actually become, they come to the surface and become made known. In a sense, if we want to know what we're called to do, start there. Don't start with finding out what you're called to do. Start with presenting your body a living sacrifice and say, God, I'm, I just want to serve. Yeah. I just want to get involved, get my hands dirty and, 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 and give myself to you. Show me what you want me to do. You hear his voice today and step out in that, you're going to be, begin walking down a path that leads to the fulfillment of your call. Yeah. It's actually very simple. So let's look at Jesus' pattern of leadership. We have... I think to better understand Jesus' pattern of leadership, we might need to remind ourselves what the world tends to have as a pattern of leadership, which I have found to be power. Leadership is about power, about um, glory, Glory. you know, like getting credit, getting attention, and it's about gain. There's, There's gain attached to it. I used to live on the continent of Africa, and it was unbelievable how much how much uh, I mean there were churches on every single corner and in every church there was some dude who had power over people and they were like the the king of the church and everyone to serve God you serve that man and so there was this like lust of, and even like most political leaders oh, yeah. you know it's just a continuous cycle and so it, that is a corrupt form of leadership and and my friends in the church by the grace of god we need to be the example of godly leaders the world needs to see the church and and say that is the kind of leader i want to follow and so uh you know there was a there was a a, i'll I'll indulge me i'll just tell this little story I, i grew up in atlanta too and there was a um at the time well known pastor and uh, except one ought not call him pastor because he was bishop. Yes. And <laughs> yes. And uh, and so I remember I was watching uh, I guess television must have been like Christian television or something. To be honest with you, I don't make the habit of watching a lot of Christian television, but mm-hmm. but um, they were showing the ordination service of this guy becoming bishop. And there was this whole dramatic thing and I mean, most of it I didn't even track. And then it culminated with, like, having this guy sit down in this chair. You know these, like, chairs that have, like, these high backrests, you know? And, 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 but, like, way higher backrests than anyone else in the auditorium to make sure that everybody knows that guy, that's the dude, right? And so they get out his, you know, bishopric chair. I don't know, whatever. And you uh, and and they sat him down, and then they had like the four spiritual sons each get a leg of the chair and lift him up. And the guy who was doing presiding over the ordination service is like, and now he is lifted up above the common people. He is elevated from, amongst from above people. And I'm thinking, <laughs> I mean, 
the, who are we worshiping here? Like, the Jesus I know, he, he came in riding on a donkey into Jerusalem to be killed for people and kind of, like, didn't want attention. You know, he keeps on, like, healing people, and he's like, don't tell anybody. You know what I mean? Total, we have gotten it backwards. Yeah. And so that's what I'm wanting to stir in us this, mor- uh, this morning, <laughs> this evening. Jesus' pattern of, of leadership. If you look with me in John chapter 13, uh, let's, you know, to, to juxtapose against what I just described, let's look at what Jesus actually did in terms of demonstrating what the kind of leadership that that matters most to him, that, that, that kind of like touches the depths of his and his father's heart. John chapter 13, verses three, verse three, it says this with regards to this foot washing moment that all of us are familiar with. It starts off with these words, Jesus, knowing that the father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God. Isn't that interesting that uh, John, before he talks about this foot washing story, he wants to set it in the context of Jesus knew that he was God and equal to God. Mm. (laughs) I'm about to talk about how he made himself lowly, and let me start off. Jesus, knowing that he was in this status, verse 4, rose from supper and laid aside his garments, took a towel, and girded himself. You and I read that and we think, okay, whatever. That's what Jesus did at the end of the supper. Those 12 disciples sitting at that table knew what Jesus was doing on a level you and I aren't familiar with. Because in that day, servants stood at the master's feet with a linen cloth ready to serve. What he was doing was presenting himself to the 12 as a servant of them. And then he he, goes on, verse 5, after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet. The, the, the significance there is that it was the lowest-ranking servant in the house, in that culture, that was responsible, that would have done the act of foot washing. So not only is Jesus presenting himself as a servant, he's wanting to show himself as the lowest-ranking servant. And at the back end of this... Now, do you, I mean, put, put yourself in their shoes for a second. Like, can you imagine having walked with this guy? This guy has twice calmed storms on a sea, <laughs> to which they said, surely this is the Son of God. This guy has twice multiplied fish and loaves, once to feed 5,000 men, another time 4,000 men. This guy has, has caused one of us to walk on water. This guy has healed the sick, raised the dead. And, and here, in this moment, he is washing our feet, like identifying with the lowest place. What do you think, if you were sitting there, you would have, you would have felt? That would have, mm-hmm. I don't know if I would have had capacity for this. Mm-hmm. And, and, and then he says in, in verse, uh, yeah, no, well, it says, and to wipe, wipe them with the towel which he was girded. And then you go down to verse 12. And so when he had washed their feet, taken his garments, and sat down again, he said to them, do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. If then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an an example that you should do as I have done to you. Leadership and God's kingdom means serving others. 
You don't have to go there now, but Matthew 20, I want just to speak these other words of Jesus. 20 verse 25, Jesus called to them and said to them, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles, who are the Gentiles? Those are those who do not have covenant with God. Those who are operating without any connection with God and therefore are being led by the will of the flesh, who are operating in the system and spirit of this world, these people, how do they exercise leadership? They lord it over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. This thing of leadership is so empower, important in the testimony of the church in the eyes of the world. We are called to be the uh, or to arise and shine for our light has come and to uh, cause the knowledge of the glory of the Lord to cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. That's the mandate of the church, and leadership is so critical. And I'm not just talking about pastoral positional leadership. I'm talking about every person in this room, how we operate in a realm of influencing and seeking to influence people is critical. And this is the heart of it. He says, uh, exercise authority over them, yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. Whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And I want to make it very clear, when we're talking about leadership equals service, I have seen sometimes erroneously people saying, okay, so I'm going to just get involved in a bunch of serving, and I'm going to serve you, and what do you need me to do? I'll do that. And, and serving according to the way Jesus is describing, is not just simply serving. It's serving him, obeying him, being led by the Spirit of God the Father, and in that, doing what he wants, which ultimately will lead to somehow serving people. But not so that they're pleased with us, not so that we make them feel good. It's it's to please the, the heart of God. Does that make sense? Yeah. We can get into a, a – we got to be very clear who the master is here. Uh, Tyron Daniel, who leads the New Covenant Ministries International team, the NCMI team that we partner with, the apostolic team, says this. Profound, profound statement. You ready? There are three things that are always going to be true about your calling. Number one, that God loves you. Number two, the devil hates you. Number three, everyone else has a plan for your life. Yeah. <laughs> that is true. That is true. It is. <laughs> Everyone has expectations. You're going to feel pressure from people. You're going to feel needs from people. You might even be pressure from within yourself out of some kind of human compassion for people to, to do stuff. You've got to be walking with the Lord and obeying his voice. And having said that, in terms of the pattern of Jesus's leadership, I think we can go no further the ultimate expression of leadership mm-hmm. is Jesus on a cross. Yeah. And if that's true, I think that we would do well to allow the heartbeat and the reality of that to sink deep into our own hearts as far as how do I walk out my call? How can I lead? It's got to be patterned after the one who went to a cross. Well, what led him to the cross? I mean, I don't want to beat a dead horse here, but... To make it clear, it wasn't a bunch of people saying, Jesus, we're dead in our sin. Would you go die on the cross for us, please? 
They didn't even know. He, they didn't even know. That's what, he was serving them, and they didn't even know it. Yeah. That's what I'm trying to get at with this service. Leadership is service. You may be serving people, and they don't even know it. They don't know that the Father has put something on your heart to do something, and you may never get a thank you. They may even not like you for what you do in him. That's the service that we're talking about. That is not about serving people for people's sake. I hope that's coming through. I don't have words. It's it's the creator of heaven and earth who knows best what needs to happen. That's who we're serving. But at... When we're following him, when we're sacrificially yielding to him, it will lead to acts that are serving, laying down our lives and serving other people. So if I can, having said that, read Philippians chapter 2, another well-known passage of scripture. But I think this, Paul Paul says these words, starting in verse 5 of chapter 2, of like putting into context Jesus's heart as our leader, starting in verse 5, it says, Let this mind be in you, which also is in Christ Jesus. Before we read even the next verse, can we just grapple with that? Let this mind, this is the mind that we need to have inside of us as we grow in our leadership and in our calling. Who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, in other words, Jesus was divine. He was God. If I was divine and God, I would be tempted, perhaps, to think that all of you people need to be serving me. Can I be real? Can we be real? Because I bet the same is true of you. Jesus is par with, he is God. But what did he do with that? He did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and again I don't want to beat a dead dead horse but what I just read put that in the context of bishop so and so being lifted up by the spiritual son so that he's no longer on par with common lowly people he's bishop do you hear what I'm saying Mm -hmm. Jesus made himself of no reputation he didn't want elevated status he chose the opposite of elevated status. He didn't need man or man's approval, which is, uh, 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 what's the word? It's superficial, flighty. What's the, he didn't need that. Fickle is the word I'm looking for. Thank you. He didn't need that. He made himself with no reputation, taking, on, uh, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient. Can you even say that word? Obedient. Obedient. That, my friends, is the issue of leadership in, in the kingdom of God. Jesus himself was obedient. His leadership stemmed from his obedience. It was, he was leading not to be a leader, he was leading because he was obeying a voice that had him take actions that resulted him in asserting himself as a leader. That is how we lead, obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross, which is to say leadership is first following, but it's he was obedient even to death, even the death on a cross, which is to say obedience without measure. 
willing to do anything. That is that creates a a a way, a atmosphere, a context for us to actually walk in and discover and walk in our own call. And in verse nine, therefore, therefore what? Therefore, because his obedience knew no limits, God has also highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. In other words, established his leadership and his authority. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on the earth and of those under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In the kingdom, you can only lead what you sacrificially serve in obedience to God. If I'm not, if I'm not influencing somebody because I'm first, it, as a direct result of me first being influenced by God, by Jesus, then I have no business trying to assert myself to lead other people. You guys ever met any Christians or seen any scenarios in the church where someone's trying to influence another person, tell them what to do and how they should live and how they should think? when in fact they kind of need to. Jesus addressed this issue when he's talked about the moat and the speck in your eye. Yeah, so, but when it comes from obedience to the Father, the leadership that we take is with dripping with humility because we're broken. It's an extension of being broken and being made willing to do what God wants us to do, which has us step and get involved with people, not because we're comfortable, not because we necessarily even want it, but we do want it because he's put the desire in us. But it's usually with us shaking in our boots and outside of our comfort zone. I don't think Jesus' act of leadership, his glorious act of leadership on the cross was because, hey, you know, this is what I was born. This is what I've always wanted to do this. I've always known I had this gift. It was it was obedience. Yeah. And so I just want to touch on five things, some of which are different from this morning. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Getting a little extra uh, tonight. Um, Jesus is calling leaders who will do these things. These are characteristics or t- or, uh, or uh, you know, identifying the kind of leaders Jesus calls to be some five things that Jesus is calling leaders who will do these things. Number one, follow him. I mean, I think we're hearing that clearly tonight. Follow him. Matthew 4:19. When Jesus is calling apostles, he says these words. Then he said to them, "Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men." The picture that he puts there to these guys is that they're no longer going to be fishing fish. They're going to be fishing men, which is to say they're, they're, there's something of like catching uh, mm-hmm. catching fish, but it's going to be men. Mm-hmm. They're going to be involved in the business of reaching men, people, humans, and it's going to happen sometime in the future as a result of following him. Right. And so the in other words, leadership influence begins with first being influenced by Jesus. Follow him. That is where the leadership comes from. It's so simple, and yet I think that we definitely easily err from this. We get into our church rhythm. We get into our, we kind of know how to do church. We know how to do the children's ministry and the stuff, and we, and Jesus isn't at the core connection with him, the, the nearness and 
nowness of his word and, and the leading of his spirit isn't in that. Mm-hmm. And we've learned how to do this stuff. Right. We've been we've learned how to do. We've been good at church. Right. Do you follow what I'm saying? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's not Jesus making us fishers of men. Therefore, it's void of the presence and power of Jesus. Yeah. And and all of us in our heart of hearts know that is what we want. Yeah. I didn't grow up in church the way. You and I know church. I did not grow up in church. And to be honest with you, there's so much in church that I don't even want at all. <laughs> and I say that with utmost respect. It's because what I bought into is not religion. It's not church. I bought into Jesus. That's what I gave my life to. Outside of church. I got born again outside of, of, of a church. I didn't even know what it meant to be born. I didn't know the term born again when I got born again. And then I got involved with community of, with church people, and I saw things that I'm like, this isn't like what is like, this is I'm reading the scripture. What is this? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I, I, let's I, we want to get back to the authentic, real thing, right. and it all has to do with this thing right here. Follow him. Number two, I think Jesus Jesus is calling leaders who will love and serve the local church. I mean, honestly, I don't even know how to read this because, like, we're so preaching to the choir, but I'll say it anyway. Don't assume that. Yeah. The, the love and serve the local church. This is a lost art, especially amongst uh, younger people. I think older people grew up in, where there was a um, – I've said this before, actually. There's, there was a cultural uh, pressure to go to church. If you don't go to church, it's like, ooh, what's wrong with you? Ooh, they're not, they haven't gone to church in two, you know, that's like, whereas like millennials and younger today, it's like, eh, I'll go a couple times, you know, whatever it's, and there's, there's this dying. So, so the one commitment could actually not be because of a commitment to Jesus, mm-hmm. but a commitment to re- religious right. tradition. Sure. And, but the other is like, we've lost sight mm-hmm. of the glorious plan of God for the church. And without commitment to a local body of believers, it will not happen. And so um, you can only lead what you serve, right? Mm -hmm. And so if we're not like in, then we have no business trying to lead other people Mm -hmm. in that. Your gifts fit into a local church body. Remember how I said that that Romans 12 verse 6 has a context and we read the first couple verses? Well, if you read the few verses after Romans 12, 6, you're going to have more of the context and it's all about local church. Paul is saying all these one another statements that's, that, that imply you have to be together regularly and not forsake the assembling together as has become the habit of some. And I would say millennials and, and whatnot. Um, are you a millennial? No, Gen, Gen, you guys are Gen Zers, all of you? Yeah, so I don't even know where you guys fit into the picture, but millennials, it's like a, it's like a, no, you're not, buddy. You're a Gen Xer, Mr. Napoleon Dynamite guy. Barely. Roman, uh, lassoing this back. (laughs) Romans 12.4, for as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another without commitment, without local church becoming something of your family. That scripture makes no sense, and it can't be fulfilled. How, how are we going to be individual? How am I going to be a member 
of Mickey and Mickey a member of me if we're not even like together. So, and then if you go down to verse 9 through 16, Paul says all of these things of a similar nature. Be kindly affectionate one to another with brotherly love. If we're not seeing each other, if we're seeing each other twice a month, I mean, yeah, you can kind of do some of that. But this is talking about being deep with one another. In honor, giving preference to one another. Verse 13, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. It's all about richness of connection. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Verse 16, be the same mind toward one another. All of these one another's. And, um, you know, I would maybe toss this out at us. For a marriage to work, would you agree with me that both partners need to commit? Mm, sure. For raising kids to work, would you agree that both spouses should probably commit to that process? Mm. Would you also agree with that if a business is going to work, you need employees who are actually going to commit? Yeah. Businesses are not going to work if, if people are showing up late or not doing what they say they're going to do and agree to do. It becomes dysfunctional. It's not going to work. For a sports team to work, uh, let's let's say those Lions again because I there's something in my heart that's wanting to think that this thing is actually happening. For the Lions to work, that new head coach, he's got to inspire that team to be committed yeah. to the process. Yeah. They have drills. They've got plays. They need to know those plays. They need to watch videos of their opponents that they're going to be playing this upcoming Sunday. They need to know things. They need to be committed to sleep schedule, to diet schedule, to exercise schedule, to practice commitment, right, to make it work. For a uh, church to work, members similarly have to be committed to this process together. It's just the way it works, and I believe that everybody in here wants to see it work. So I would say, encourage all of us, pray to receive God's love for his church. Pray to receive God's heart for your local church. I I don't want to just be committed. I want to have your heart. I want to see what you see. I want to know where you're going, Lord, so that I can run with that. I'm telling you, prayers like that will ignite something. Uh, that hell can't hold you back from uh, willfully wanting to sacrifice in order to see his vision accomplished. Number three, be healthy and stay healthy. Jesus is wanting leaders, and this is important, who are healthy and stay healthy. My friends, I believe that in the name of ministry, we have developed a culture um, that has driven God's people, driven them like a slave, like a slave driving into places of ill health and uh, all for the sake of accomplishing the goal. And God's people need to be healthy and to stay healthy. And so let me just read this scripture to us. Jesus says this, Come to me, all of you who labor and are heavy laden. Anybody in here feel that way or have felt that way? You labor and you are heavy, heavily burdened. I will give you rest. This is the normal. I'm not saying we can't have busy seasons. Rest is the normal for the people of God. 
We lead, we minister from a place of rest. And sometimes it's hard to do that because the church world that we're in doesn't even look like that. But I want to speak words. God spoke words to frame heaven and earth. And I want to speak these words to frame our our reality. Rest is the context. How do you find rest? Come to me. Take my yoke upon you, which suggests you're probably carrying yokes that I haven't given you. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I am gentle and lowly of heart or humble of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If if the yoke we're carrying is not easy and it's not light, we need to go back to this place and say that cannot be right. Mm-hmm. Heart health is the most important yeah. in ministry. Mm-hmm. The most important. Mm-hmm. Heart health. I We received wonderful advice from Tammy Cox, who was kind of like a spiritual mama to us during a phase of our life. She said to us as leaders, always make sure that you've got clean water and fresh bread for people. And what she meant by that is always make sure that you have sat at his feet before anything else, that you have received the fresh word of God to your own heart so that you can go out into your day and into what God's called you to do with his word and spirit in you. Yeah. That And so what I want to encourage us with tonight, we cannot lead others to freedom if we ourselves are in shackles. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And here's the solution. Are you ready? Be ruthless with number one, making a connection with Jesus the priority of each day. Mm-hmm. Ruthless. <laughs> How many sermons have you heard that point made in to, to make Jesus the priority? I'm saying, yeah, we've heard it before. Be ruthless is what I'm saying. As in, I don't meet with Jesus today, then appointments get canceled. Other stuff doesn't happen. I'm not saying don't show up at work on time. For those of you who are supposed to be at work on a certain time. Just get up earlier. Yeah, that's on you. Get up earlier. Ruthless with it. Number two, be ruthless with eliminating everything that prohibits what he's telling you to do. Remember, if you come to him, he says, it sounds as though in that place of coming to him, there's going to be a yoke that he wants to give you. And sometimes we find Jesus wanting to put a yoke on our lives, but we can't take it because we're keeping our current yoke. And we have to be ruthless with removing other yokes so that we can receive the yoke of Jesus. Ruthless. And number three, be ruthless with eliminating whatever the cause of our toxicity is. Now, if the cause of your toxicity is your spouse, don't remove them. (laughs) (laughs) don't remove them but if there are things that you are allowing that are causing toxicity in your heart that's you can pray all you want for god to take it away you need to do something about it jesus in matthew 11 has given us instructions on how to live healthy and free number four Jesus is calling leaders 
You ready for this one? Who will be friends of sinners? Bet you didn't see that one coming. Jesus is calling leaders who will be friends of sinners. Do you know that this Jesus that we worship and we say holy, holy, holy to and and uh, sing songs and all, do you know one of the things he was accused of is being a friend of sinners? Can I ask us the question, how many in the church today are accused of the same? Are we it says here in Luke 7:34, the saint, the Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, "Look, a glutton and a winebibber, and a friend of tax collectors and sinners." When the church ceases to engage, engage unbelievers, and when I say engage unbelievers, I am not talking about taking your track to an unbeliever and and walking them through the Romans road of salvation or the four spiritual laws. I'm talking about having a relationship. I'm talking about sitting across a table and getting to know them. As the four-letter words are pouring out, as they're making references to things that you know are ungodly, you love them and, and, and have the heart of the Father towards a lost sheep. When the church ceases to engage unbelievers, we develop a subculture that repels them. Please hear that. Please hear that. Like that is so rampant in Western Christianity. We have a subculture that the world looks at and does not identify with, does not get it. And you know what the church says? Oh, well, they're of the spirit of the world and and, and it's persecution. No, it's that we at some point have gotten cozy in our little kind of holy huddle and we're no longer engaging relationally the the ones that Jesus sends us, the church of this generation, to go reach. And so uh, let me just ask a a couple questions. Are we accused of being friends of sinners? (laughs) Honestly, ask yourself that question. If would people accuse us of being of you being a friend of sinners? And if not, why not? Let me ask us another question. Do sinners like you? And I know Jesus said the words about that, uh, you know, you're going to be rejected and, and you're going to be persecuted for, for my name's sake. And that if they've rejected me, they'll reject you also. And But again, I think we use these. I think there was also an element of Jesus shown a light and people in darkness were coming to it. Mm-hmm. So is that happening? Mm-hmm. Like, like, I'm fine if you're persecuted and if I'm persecuted... But is there, at the same time, unbelievers coming to the light? All kingdom leadership, this is what we want to say, all kingdom leadership is in the context of seeking to save what was lost. Or, in other words, as we referenced earlier, being fishers of men. Did you know that? Like, whatever your leadership is, it ultimately fits into a context that looks like a group of people called the church on the earth reaching people who don't yet know Jesus. I mean, there's basically two things that the church is called to do. Populate heaven with earth and populate earth with heaven. In other words, get lost people saved and mature those who got saved into the image of Jesus. That's it. That's what we're doing. So... And the maturing of the church to become glorious like Jesus looks like the church increasingly reaching the lost. All leadership fits in the context of that. 
And I'm telling you, we've gotten cozy. We just want to be with our little Christians. Uh, Do you know that when Paul is talking to his spiritual son, Timothy, and he's saying uh, to ordain elders, and he's giving them instructions on how to ordain elders and who to look for, one of those requirements of eldership, which is leadership, right, is this. Moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside. Mm -hmm. In other words, unbelievers. I would say there's a lot of pastors who don't have, who don't even know anyone outside of the church. Yeah. Like, who are you reaching this year? Well, I, I don't, I kind of don't know any unbelievers. Well, what are we doing? <laughs> We're just doing church. What for? Well, I get paid to do that, or whatever the case may be. I just want to say. We've got to have relationship. We've got to love the world. Um, Paul wanted to make sure that whoever is leading the church loves sinners. It was a requirement of eldership. And so I want to ask ourselves this question. Do we see sinners as the other team? Or do we see them as those that we are sent to lay our lives down for? And then lastly is, uh, fifthly, Jesus is calling leaders who, to be, who will be confident and bold. Now, if you're like me, I don't always feel naturally confident and bold. And sometimes, maybe it's my own insecurity, but I can feel <laughs> irritated with people who do naturally, in their own natural wiring, feel confident and bold. I don't know if I'm intimidated by them or if it's that I – I don't know, but – but but I want to say a leader has to be confident and bold. But it's not a confidence in yourself. It's not a, it's not a personality trait. It's a confidence and a boldness that comes from, from that thing of following him. Yeah. You know, that th- whole thing of, of they, you know, Peter and John, they, rec- they, they saw their boldness and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. And uh, in verse 8 of Romans chapter 12, where we're getting this whole message tonight of leaders lead with diligence, that word diligence, uh, spude, would mean definite, resolute, swift to action. And if you look at every other place in the New Testament where that word is used, it's all about like acting with haste to, to accomplish something, do, like being decisive. I mean, one strange example really strange example, but you'll you'll get it. I mean, this, this is a strange example. Is uh, Herod, uh, uh, was it Herod? Herodias wanted, uh, he asked, he, he was pleased with her dancing and, and asked, said, whatever we want, up to half the kingdom I'll give to you. And uh, and she said, she, she went over to her mom to find out what should I ask for him. He's gonna, he says, he'll, he'll give me anything I want. And the mom says, I want John the Baptist's head on a platter. Mm-hmm. And, the, and, the, and the scripture says she went with haste back to Herod and, and made that request. She was decisive. That's this word. Mm-hmm. It's, I know what I want and I'm going to get it. And so leaders, those, those with, who lead, lead with that. With that definite, resolute, swift to action. And what I'm saying is, if God puts something on your heart, do it. 
to 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 not uh, struggle, you know, paralysis of analysis and thinking or self doubt and all that other kind of junk that we get into, to allow, to be sensitive to the nuances and leadings of the spirit and to and to do it, be resolute. I'm telling you, that's power. There's something important about that. When we waver, it's like it. The power isn't released. We got to be con- we got to be resolute. I'm not talking. You can be you you can be wavering in your confidence, but be confident in the Lord and step out in faith. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, why don't we just why don't we just respond to all that?